We're getting new uh, church members all the time. We got another one we'll talk about at the end of service here. We had one we talked about last week, so let's stand to our feet. It is praise and worship time, and we got so much to praise and worship the Lord for. Amen. We're going to try that again. My wife and I were talking the other day, and we were so encouraged because, you know, I know inflation's bad on all of us, but it was like everything we picked up was less than half price. That's how God can take care of His people, even when there's trouble. Amen. And I, I tell you, some trust in chariots and horses, but I don't. He says, God is merciful to us and bless us and cause His face to shine on us. That your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. There you go. I knew Terry would get us started. (laughs) For you, O God, (laughs) for you shall judge the people righteously. He's perfect. Everybody wants justice? We're all going to get it. And it'll be perfect. We're all going to get it someday. And he says, uh, you judge righteously and govern the nations on the earth. The Bible says he's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. No more funny business, right, when Jesus comes back. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Let those also who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. Here it is. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yes, let them rejoice exceedingly. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord. Give him praise this morning. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord some praise. You're worthy of our praise, Lord. You're worthy. Thank you for our salvation, Lord. May it never grow old to us. Amen. Children's church is dismissed. You go into the building next door through the drive through there. There's a nursery over there. If you have a child, you can take your baby over there as well. The rest of you can be seated. It's a great day to be a Christian, amen? Because we don't have to worry about anything. He said he would never leave us nor forsake us. A lot of times I'll go to the Old Testament, come over to the New Testament, but I'm going to do that in reverse this morning, and you'll see why I think as I go through this message. I'm going to preach a little bit, and then I'm going to preach, I think. I feel like a fire shut up in my bones without even share with you this morning, and I usually don't title my messages because I'm usually just working through passages or books, but this morning I'm going to title this message, uh, Prisoner of Hope. Did you all know that line was in the Bible? 
prisoner of hope. All right, we're going to get some new information today then. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 21. I'm going to start here, read some stuff for you. Uh, this is Palm Sunday that we're celebrating, so we're going to read a little bit of that. But I want to get to the, uh, the bulk of my message is about being a prisoner of hope. Uh, <clears throat> we're thankful for our heat and air system. We are. We live in Kentucky, so we need extremes on both sides, right? And they're getting old, but they've lasted 27 years. So we've not really had to worry about that. We're going to have some new things going on when we knock out that wall, hopefully starting in a month or two. But God's been good to us. <clears throat> uh, he's going to keep being good to us, right? God is faithful. Let me, let me remind you this before I get into this text. God is, Jesus said he's faithful when we're not. So if we are in the path of God, right, we will experience his faithfulness, right? If Stickman walks with God, he's been born again, he's going to experience his faithfulness. Here's the problem. Some people stray and they get down here, right? Stick man, okay? And stick man, the devil starts saying, see, God's not what he's all he's cracked up to be. He, that's not the problem. God's still being faithful right here in the path, isn't he? Stick man got out of the path. That's the problem. The devil's a liar. So the, all stick man needs to do is do what the prodigal did, return home. Amen? God's always faithful. It's not a question whether he's going to be faithful or not. I'm changing my mind. We'll preach a little bit here first. And he's always faithful. He's faithful where he calls us out of darkness into the light. If you go back into the darkness, you're going to stumble around. But I'm telling you, God's always faithful. Even when we're not, he's always faithful. Amen? And he was faithful to all of us that we didn't deserve by sending us his son. And his son is getting ready to start that journey as he comes into Jerusalem here, as we read about in Matthew chapter 21. He says, Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, the Mount of Olives, that Jesus went to, to, sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately they will... He will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt and the foal of a donkey. Now, let me say three things about him riding this donkey in instead of a horse. He, uh, if you're a king, you generally would have rode a horse in to represent your authority, your power. But Jesus was always using his whole life to identify with us in our lowly estate. So here, once again, he does that again with this donkey by riding in this donkey. Now, we're not talking about just a king. We're talking about the king of kings. He deserved, he should have and one way of looking at it, should have rolled in on a horse, right? But he came to identify with us because he was headed to that cross. And the more he identified with us, the more confidence we have that he's able, like Paul said in Hebrews, to comfort us in our time of need. So Jesus rode this donkey for three reasons mainly. One, to identify with all of us who were lower. We're not the only begotten Son of God. To all the crowd that was poor and needy, the working class, here he comes. 
comes in on this donkey. The second thing, he rode in this donkey because when a king would bring himself to ride in on something other than a white horse, it was usually a symbol of peace back in those times. So he came in peace. And then thirdly, he came to fulfill God's word because heaven and earth will pass away before one jot or tittle of God's word won't come to pass. Can you say amen? Now let me summarize this by saying, he is coming back on a horse the next time. He's coming back on a white horse as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the Bible says a sharp two-edged sword will come out of his mouth. He will destroy his enemies with the brightness of his coming. He's not coming back as Savior then. He's coming back as judge. He's coming back with a rod of iron. He will set everything right, and the righteous can rejoice in that. Give him praise. He's worthy. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the coat, laid their clothes on them, and set, him, and set him on them. Then a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitude who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. That was another title for the Son of God. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. I want to say something to the world that's listening. And whoever gets this podcast and everybody in this building, you better let Jesus come to your house on a donkey. Because if he comes back on the horse, you're in trouble. You better receive him in the peace that he offers and the, and the way that he offers eternal salvation. You better humble yourself today. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. You don't have the promise of tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. And if Jesus is riding into your living room on his cult today, figuratively speaking, you need to get on your knees, confess your sins, and repent to the Most High God and follow him the rest of your life. That's the call for all of us. And when he had come to Jerusalem, the city was moved saying, who is this? And we know that it was the Lord Jesus went in the temple of God, drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of money changers and said, the, the, those who sold doves and said, let me say a word to the church who much has gone crazy in these last days. Jesus he did one last thing before he left this earth. He went into his father's house and clean house in there. He said, I'm not leaving this. Is. You guys have made this a den of thieves and a place of merchandising. And you can see that all over the television world. Not everybody on television is bad, but it's a place of merchandising. You get, we'll sell you this and you'll get this back. I'm telling you, Jesus done one last stop. He said, I'm going to clean my father's house up before I go to the cross. And that's exactly what he said before he comes back on that white horse. He's coming back on that horse the next time to judge the world. But he said, before that, he said, I'm going to step into my own house and I'm going to clean it up. And we have seen that since the 1980s. He's getting his house ready. So he stops here and he says it's supposed to be called a house of prayer. Now that word prayer is prosuche in the Greek and it means a place where people seek God. It's not a place to make business connections. It's not a place to make yourself have birthday parties and all that's secondary. This is a place where we seek God. That's what we should be doing when we come to the house. We should find ourselves seeking Him, whether it's praise and worship, whether it's eating from His Word or on our knees in prayers. This house, this place we've designated for God should be a place not to do our thing, but to seek God. That should be our number one priority. And that's what that word means, to seek him. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes, and I believe all that's happening. 
You know what? I've said this for the last three services. I'm, I believe that we're going to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and an emphasis on healing. There's going to be an emphasis on healing. That's exactly what he was doing before he went to the cross, before he finished his first work. Before he comes back the second time to finish that work, then I think we're going to see the same thing. He's going to clean his house up. He's going to have the righteous out, and he's going to bring healing. And then he says, they came and he saw the wonderful, the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things he did. Children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David. And they were indignant and said to him, do you not hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you not read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise. Perfected that praise. That's what happens when the house gets purified and the power shows up, then the praise comes. And that's what I'm praying for the ministry of Basilea, wherever it's at in the world, that, it, that the purity's coming, the, praise, the power's coming, then the praise will come. That we don't want to just get up and tell people what used to happen. We want to tell people what's going on today, right? God is as real today as he's always been. He's, he's alive today. He's a healer today. He's a savior today. He's a deliverer. He's all that. Now let's go to verse 33 before I leave this text, this part of the Bible. Hear another parable, he said. This is Jesus talking. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press and built a tower. He leased it to the vine dressers and in the far country. Now these vintage time drew near. He sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, stoned another. And again, he sent other servants more than the first. They did likewise to them. Then last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine dresser saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, seize his inheritance. So they took him, cast him out in the vineyard, and killed him. And this is basically Jesus prophesying about what's going to go on with him, the prophets and all those who come before Therefore, when the owner of the vine dress vineyard comes, what will he do to the vine dresser? They had an answer for him. They said, He will destroy those wicked men miserably, lease his vineyard to the vine dressers, who will render to him the fruits of their seasons. He will render them. Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now, I want you to look, pay attention to the next couple of lines. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruit of it, the fruits of it. And I think America was the last in line with that. When I studied Amos aggressively the last six to eight months, I found out that there could be pockets of revival while the nation's being judged. That's what's happening to America. That's what's going to continue to happen to America. Our nation's going to get judged as a whole, but there's going to be pockets of revival. That's what happened when uh, Josiah came to be the king. They, Israel started having pockets of revival, but the nation as a whole was going to get judged. I'm going to tell you, more than ever, it's time to be serious with God. It's time to be on his side. He said there'll be light in Goshen when there's darkness everywhere else in Egypt. God will take care of his own. He said he will never leave us nor forsake us. It's time. If you've been with one foot in and one foot out, it's time to get both feet in. If you've been trying to play church with God and your own life, I might say, it's time to get serious about following him. We are living in the last days. We are in a time like Amos spoke of. When God spoke that to me, he said, share Amos with your people and the world because this is what I'm saying to America. America, and I, that bothered me. I thought, I don't want the whole America to get rum, uh, destroyed. 
I want to still see people saved. That's exactly what happened in Israel. Israel was getting judged as a whole, but there were some people in the middle of Israel doing just fine. They went to the clothing store and found a pair of jeans 50% off. They went to another store and found food discounted and then the clearance item that they loved, right? Just so happened. It just so happened that Jonah was thrown off at the right time when that fish was coming by. It just so happened that that fish just happened to swallow him and refused to eat him. It just so happened that the fish was going the right way. It just so happened that the fish split him out on the right seashore. None of that just so happened. You have a God that's in control of everything. He's in charge in Russia. He's in charge in America. He's in charge in Brazil. He's in charge in China. He's in charge everywhere. Your God is in control of everything. And my God. He's mine too. Now, Let's go to Zechariah. I'm going to take you to the Old Testament. In Zechariah, this is where it's prophesied about Jesus doing what we just read he did. And now I'm really going to get excited. Mm, it feels like a fire shut up in me this morning. And this is where that line is that maybe you didn't know was in the Bible. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. What did Jesus say? He said, there's going to be trouble all around. But he told us Christians, he said, look up, because your redemption is drawing nigh. I'm going to say it like a good Kentucky boy. Look out yonder. There comes Jesus on his white horse. He's coming in. And then he says, he says, Behold, your king is coming. He is, and he is just and having salvation. Now, that's the first word I want you to pay attention to. It is a form of Yeshua. So prophetically, not only was he telling us that there's one coming, but he was specifically talking about his only begotten son. That's what Moses said when he stood at the Red Sea. He said, Stand still and see the Yeshua of the Lord. That's the word that we translate salvation or Jesus. That was his name. That's why there's a little confusion between Joshua and Yeshua and Yeshua. Jesus and Joshua. And then he goes on to say, he says, his salvation, of course salvation means, let me give you this word, Yeshua, means deliverance, safety, help. And you know this next one. I'm going to put it to you in the Greek. The Nike, the victory. The Greek word Nike means victory. And you've heard me say it. Well, that's why that shoe company chose that word because they're uh, subliminally saying to you, if you wear our shoe, you'll get the victory. That word's used a lot in the New Testament. And so here's what the, the Lord's saying here. He says, your king's coming. He's going to come in lowly to identify with you on a donkey, on the foal, but he's going to have salvation when he shows up. He's going to have your safety. He's going to have, that's what this word means, your help, your deliverance, and your Nike. He's going to have your victory. He's going to give you the stuff you need to be victorious. He's going to come in on this lowly, like he's identifying with us, right? He says, I will cut off, verse 10, the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bowl shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. Now see, he come in on a donkey. He rode in as a peaceful. He didn't come in on a white horse as to war and to judge. He came in peaceful. The word peace, you know it, shalom. And there's a lot of things that people have described shalom with. 
But shalom is one of the most powerful words in the New Testament. And this word means cessation of againstness. In other words, he's saying your king is going to ride in like you all. He's going to have everything you need, and he's going to stop the againstness with the Father for you. You're going to be made right. Your sin will not be held against you. All you have to do is embrace him as the king, as your savior. So Jesus comes in with shalom, the cessation of againstness. Now think about what he's riding in town with. He's riding in with salvation. He's riding in with deliverance. He's riding in with help. He's riding in with victory. And he's riding in with shalom or the cessation of againstness. No longer will you have to be in a position where the Father is working against you because you live in darkness or in sin. The Father is offering us a way out through the mercy of his Son by hanging on that tree. And look at the next verse. He says, He shall speak peace to the nations. Dominion shall be from sea to sea and from river to river to the ends of the earth. So that's coming in part two when he comes back on the horse. As for you also, because the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Now see, all this is about freedom. All this is about salvation that he's talking about. And he's introducing his son to the world when he came in on Palm Sunday. Here he comes with all these good things that we're in desperate need of, right? He says, because the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. You prisoners of hope. What about being a prisoner of hope instead of a prisoner of everything else? He says, you turn to your stronghold, you prisoner of hope. Even today I declare that I will restore double to you. And then he gets back in here, starts talking. We, you and I, have the offer of Jesus Christ riding into our lives, taking on sin nature like you and I, walking a mile in our shoes, and giving us salvation, giving us deliverance, giving us peace where we no longer have to fear or dread because he's taking our place. He's riding in. If I can go back to the New Testament, he's riding in to Jerusalem He's riding into Jerusalem to offer them eternal life, and not only eternal life, but his life now. He's going in, setting the stage for the whole world to be saved. Now, we know that the whole world's not going to be saved. We know that there are many who refuse the love and the work of God. But it's not his will, Peter said, that any would perish, but that all would come under repentance. So God's design was that everyone would surrender their lives and come follow. Now, let me say something to you, lest you get caught up in thinking, well, this plan, I, why did it have to be that way? Why, let me say something. You and I, we don't really, and I don't fully have this figured out in my own self. I don't fully understand. I don't fully comprehend how righteous God is. I, I, try, I read about it. I think about it. Sometimes I'll get a breeze on it, you know, just like it'll, it'll sit down and take your breath for a moment. But he's so righteous and so holy that if we tried to live in his presence without being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, we couldn't survive. I don't think people understand that. It, there's a practical side to you and I accepting Jesus Christ and being clothed with his righteousness. You couldn't just walk into God's presence in your natural state with your own righteousness, and you wouldn't even survive. 
You couldn't survive that in the presence of the almighty, awesome, holy God. You have to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ or you would probably, you and I would probably disintegrate. You don't just, God's plan is perfect. He gave us a chance in Adam. Now let me say something about that. You may say, well, why, why am I born in sin because what Adam and Eve did? Just go look in the mirror, dummy. Right? I didn't mean that offensive because I'm a dummy too. Just go look in the mirror. If you got a stone to throw at Adam and Eve and you're mad at them, go look in the mirror. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. God has sent his son to offer you and I a free ride into heaven. What's wrong with that? If you don't like covenant, if you don't like authority, if you don't like uh, headship, then you are in trouble, man. Because the first Adam, yeah, he put us in a predicament. But I've seen enough out of my own life to know that if I'd been in the garden, I would have fallen too. It had probably been not an apple or whatever they picked. It had probably been a strawberry that got me. <laughs> the devil took me over there and said, look at these strawberries. Probably in the garden, they, you know, before sin, they were probably the size of a grapefruit. That's just me. Everybody says that's what the preacher thinks. Big old strawberry, and the devil say, now, listen, you eat that strawberry, and come over here, I got some whipped cream for it. <laughs> so all of us would have fallen in the garden. We don't have any stones to throw. But headship's a beautiful thing, because my righteousness, even Moses couldn't keep the law, and my righteousness is of Christ now. So I'm clothed. Let me get my hankies. Sorry to cameraman right we get clothed in the righteousness of Christ when you get into Romans Paul talks about the difference between imputed righteousness and imparted righteousness right so I'm clothed right when I accept Christ and surrender my life to him I'm clothed with his righteousness God sees me in the righteousness of Christ now my journey from here till my time's up or till the Lord returns is that this, this is what we call sanctification. Paul said, you're sanctified by the washing of the water of the Word, so that this righteousness is worked in the fabric of my life as I journey. All the while, Jesus is still keeping me clothed, right? So that's the desire. Now, the Holy Spirit's beautiful, and He does a lot of wonderful things in the body of Christ. You know what His number one job is? To conquer you and I. That's His number one job. You're, you're your biggest problem, right? We're, we're our biggest problem. Right? That's why I said go look in the mirror, dummy. Because we don't have any stones to throw at Adam and Eve. Right? Because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. So God has made a way. Unbelievable. You know God is far above any human being. When he looks down here at all the nastiness going on in this world and has washed it nearly 6,000 years, give or take, and just keeps handing out mercy and grace. Would you do that? You know, we, we got this um, definition of, of grace, right? Unmerited favor. That's a shallow definition. My favorite definition is the one that Arthur Pink gave, and he said, grace is better described with a situation than just a word or two. He said, here's what grace is. Grace is you going to somebody's house and stealing from them and then going back the next day hungry and they feed you anyway. That's grace. All we like sinners have gone astray. There's none good, no, not one. So you and I, if I want to be a prisoner to anything, 
I want it to be hope, don't you? I want elpiso is the Greek word for hope. And I may get you back in the New Testament one time. And you all have heard me say this before. When we use the word hope in the English language, it has a question mark, right? How many of you hoped it was going to be more than 35 degrees today? Looks like you're going to get your wish. But welcome to Kentucky, right? That's how we use the word hope in the English language. We use it with a question mark. I hope it don't rain. I hope I get that job. I hope that don't happen. I hope this, whatever, right? And, and so every, every time we use the word, but in the Greek with this word here, there's no question mark. It's busted because of who the hope's in, and it's in Jesus. There's no question mark in that. My hope is in Jesus. If my hope's in Jesus, it's a done deal, right? I mean, whatever I've put my hope in. So I hope in Him. That's what I, I don't hope in my own intellect. I don't hope in some years of service that I've rendered to God. I'm hoping in Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell them the same thing. You know, I am getting in heaven on somebody's coattail. His name's Jesus. I'm going in on his coattail. Not somebody else, not my own. I'm going on. Why, am I, why do I want to be a prisoner of El Piso, El Hope? Because here's why I want to be a prisoner. Because Jesus did everything. And I, I am putting my hope in Him. I'm not putting it in a religious system. I'm not putting it in my service. I'm not putting it in what I think I may be good at or not. I'm putting my hope in Jesus Christ. All my hope is in Him, nothing less. Amen? Why do we put our hope in Him? Number one, because Jesus rode the donkey with deliverance. That's why. He come into town saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's why my hope's in Him. He took my shame and my guilt. That's why my hope's in Him. He died on a cross that I should have been the one hanging on. My hope's in Him. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul said the same thing. He said, I'm a do-loss. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. It's a good thing to be a prisoner of Jesus Christ. It's a good thing for Jesus and the Holy Spirit to invade our lives and start calling the shots because we did such a good job before they showed up. He steps in. He wants ownership of you and I. That's what this is all about. The Lord is not, He's more interested in what you're becoming than what you're getting done because you're not getting it done no way. It's the Holy Spirit doing it through you. So God's more interested in what we're becoming than what we're getting done. We like notches. We like to put trophies on the shelf. God said, I want you to die to yourself. I want you to lay your life down so that I can have a clean vessel to flow through and reach those in your circle. It's the Holy Spirit that wants a vessel that he can flow in and have no hindrances and no restrictions in. That's what God's after. So I'm a prisoner of hope to Jesus because, not some stronghold, but to Jesus. I'm a prisoner of hope because he hung on the tree that I should have hung on. I'm a prisoner of hope because they let, he let him beat them so that I could be healed and that I wouldn't have to continually stay sick. Can I get three amens? We forget about that part of the cross. Isaiah said, by his stripes you were healed. Matthew said, as you quoted Isaiah, he said, he bore your sicknesses and your diseases. He certainly covered all of our sin. But if you read what it means to be sozoed, that means there's ten things under that word that we translate salvation in the New Testament. And, and it's so many things. that Some of it applies to the physical realm. Jesus died for all your whole life. 
that, the life here and the life to come. He said, nobody who's walked out from the world, basically, and left anything and follow me will, not receive, a hundred, will receive a hundredfold more in this life and the life to come. Yeah. Now look at you. You got saved. How many brothers and sisters did you have before you got saved? I got one brother. Now look. I got all y'all. Right? And y'all are stuck with me too. We're all brothers and sisters. Right? I didn't have but one brother till I got saved. Now I got brothers and sisters in Africa. Right? You get it? Amen. And then he says, he said, I'm, I'm a prisoner of him because he gave me shalom. He gave me peace. He prepared a home for me in heaven. He became my righteousness. And he rose from the dead to eternal life. What else would you want to hope in? When I hear people argue about false religions being okay, or a professor that thinks in science that he's smarter than Moses, and he's not, why is he not smarter than Moses? Moses didn't have a cell phone. He's got to be smarter than Moses. Moses didn't have a computer. Because Moses got his information from the one who made the bumblebee. Moses got his information from the one who made the rabbit, who they said for years didn't chew the cud, and Moses said it chewed the cud, and they found out it chews the cud. <laughs> you, you know what I want to tell all you people? And I hope some of you are watching. If you're one of those folks that take man's word over God's, I want to say something to you. You go die and rise from the dead, and then we'll talk. But as for me, I'm putting my hope in the one that come out of that grave who lives forevermore. God is faithful. He wants you to be a prisoner of hope in Him. Not other things. This world can turn upside down in a heartbeat. We've watched that for the last two and a half years with, with diseases, with wars, and now they're going to drag the whole world into that war before it's over with. Because all this stuff that's packing up, right? It's went beyond just military fighting. Now people are getting, this whole world's going to be drug into this turmoil before it's over with if we're not careful. But it may be God's plan, right? Putin couldn't go into a Ukraine and do anything if God didn't let him, right? We know that. God's in charge. So what you and I got to do, we cannot be discouraged. Because why? Because our hope's not in those things. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and his righteousness. That's what we put our hope in. So let's get ready to be used. Let's get ready to get serious about God and quit making life all about us and say, okay, we're going to finish to the finish line, putting God first in every part of our life. No longer is life going to be about me, but it's going to be about Him first and everything else second. That's where we're at. That's the kind of world we're living in. And we need to make sure that our hope is in Him and nothing else. You'll be sorely disappointed if your hope's not in Him. And so he says to those, he says, because the blood of your covenant, return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Let me take you to the New Testament before I close. I'm going to close in just a moment. Let me take you to Romans chapter 5. And listen to what Paul says here about this. In Romans chapter 5, and then I'll put one verse up to end this message. In Romans chapter 5, I want to read just like three or four verses, five Verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, 
We have peace with God. There it is. Everything he was bringing in, right? The, the prophet said he's going to come in bringing all this stuff. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What did he say? He brought peace to the nations, right? He brought salvation, peace, and hope. He's going to bring all that. And not only that, he says, he, through whom we also have access by faith in the grace which we stand and rejoice in hope, hope with no question mark, because not because of what it's about, but who it's in, right? Hope with no question mark. This word hope that I read to you in the Old Testament, it's uh, tikvah. Tikvah, and it means this. It means to stretch out the mind. Now, here we go. You got to think about this. Your mind is where you lose the grip. It's not your hand. Remember, I preached about the soul, the spirit, and the mind. It's about two months worth of that on YouTube. But the, the, your mind is where you take the battles, right? That's where the battleground's at. That's why your spirit man comes alive, spirit lady comes alive, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in there, he starts flooding your life. You got the body out here sending signals, you got the world sending signals, and all that's going in the mind, and you got the Holy Spirit and the Word of God trying to send signals up into the mind. So that's where the decisions are made, right? We use our mind to make decisions. And so that's what's happening. He said, through whom we also have access to faith, the grace that we stand, we rejoice in the hope of God. You lose your grip with your mind, right? Through him we have this access, this hope. That's where hope gets messed around with, right? Keep God's word in there. Keep his word in there. Keep your focus on him so that that hope, keep, here's what the Hebrew word means. It means to stretch out the mind, not the hand, not the eye, not the foot, but the arm. Stretch out the mind of your arm. I said that crazy, didn't I? Stretch out your mind like your arm is what I meant to say. Stretching out your mind. He says, stretch out the mind in a straight direction. In a straight direction. Don't be buffered by everything. That's what happened to Peter. He was fine as long as he was looking at Jesus. When he saw all this other stuff, he started sinking. You'll start sinking. Keep your mind on Jesus. Stretch out your mind toward him. It means to stretch it out in a straight direction towards the object of hope. Who is that object? Jesus. To Here's what it says, to expect earnestly, to wait steadily and patient until that thing, whatever it is, is affected. That's what that Hebrew word hope means. Stretch out your mind on the object, and we know who that is of hope, and that's Jesus, until the thing you're stretching it out for is affected. How do you think that guy felt laying there for 38 years? How many people would have given up? How many people would have given up? How many people would have said, I'll ah, just roll me out somewhere and I'll just curl up and die somewhere? Evidently, he'd have been still trying to get to the water, right or wrong, because when they asked him, he said, I don't have anybody to help me. So he still had some level of hope in that water, but the water wasn't what he needed to put his hope in. And that's what's happened to the world. They're looking for help. All their help, they're trying to get it from men. Or women or the water here comes Yeshua the one who rode the donkey and said I'm going to identify right where you're at man get your bed and get out of here you're healed hope in Jesus right stretch out how many how long will you lay in there before you break in and run with the world before you get discouraged and beat up and say ah it's no use right that's not what that staying coupled together with God means. It means stay coupled till he shows up. He will show up. Then he says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. 
Woohoo! Bring on the gas prices. I'm the only one that woohooed that. And I probably drive more than all of you. Woohoo! Bring it on. I ain't backing down. Bring it on. I'm going to, somebody said, well, I, I said, I will be at church if I have to ride a bicycle. I will be at church. I'm that, I'm that stubborn. I'm going to be in God's house. I'm, I'm committed to it. Because we're living in the last days, and I don't need to be humped up sitting at the house. I need to be with my brothers and sisters encouraging you all, and you all encouraging me, because cheer up, saints, it's going to get worse. What are we going to do in tribulation? The world's going to start sloughing off, and we're going to get stronger and stronger. And when they look at the real church, the true believer, they're going to say, man, what a set of guns you got on you. Because tribulation made us stronger. Amen? And then he says, he goes on, I'm almost done there. I know you're glad about that. And perseverance, character, character, hope. There it is again. Hope without a question mark. Now hope does not disappoint. You know why? Because of who it's in. Jesus said he would never leave us nor forsake us. He'd be with us to the end. He can't fail. He can't lie. He can't sin. He can't do any wrong. And we're guaranteed to have the Nike in Jesus Christ. Amen? Hallelujah. Now, hope does not disappoint. Now, if you put your hope in other stuff, it'll disappoint. But if you put your hope in Him, it won't. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, how are you going to lose? You've got the Word of God you're building your life on. You've got part of the Godhead living inside of you. And you've got brothers and sisters who said, Hey, let's keep moving. No matter how tough it gets, let's keep moving. I'll leave you with this story. I read an account back in the Roman times when Romans was having, Rome was having Christians put to death. One of the account of the historians said there was like an 80 or 90 year old woman holding the hand of a 16 year old boy. They both were in the Colosseum getting ready to be fed to the lions. And the count went like this. The young boy was about to turn and recant. And that little 80 or 90, she was well up in years. It was 80 or 90, I can't remember exactly. She had his hand and she encouraged him and strengthened him to stay. And they both died together that day. Died and did what? Went straight to heaven. Went straight to heaven. But he was about to give up, as the story goes. And she, she encouraged him and strengthened That's why you need to be... You might be walking up beside somebody this morning that you need just to encourage. You don't have to be a prophet to encourage somebody. The Bible says we need to exhort one another daily, encourage one another, strengthen one another. <clears throat> maybe you didn't get a thing out of this message, but maybe you came so you could sit beside somebody and, and say, hey, man, keep it, hang in there. Don't give up. Sometimes that's what people need to hear, amen? We're a, bro we're a family. Let's stand to our feet. You guys can come to the instruments. We're a family. Somebody in this church this week's blew it. You know what? Somebody in this church this week's been discouraged. Somebody's battling fear. Somebody's battling something. There's all kinds of things. The devil don't like us. Maybe you ought to put that in your mirror. The devil don't like me. Remind yourself of that. Amen? We're heading up toward Passover slash Easter time this coming week. And we want to just... I would challenge you this week to really... 
sincerely get is spending a little more time with God. Reflect on the price that's been paid for you and I to have eternal salvation. God's got a place waiting on us on the other side. Amen? We have hope without a question mark. But I'm a prisoner of hope in Jesus Christ. And that's a good place to be. Amen? Let's bow our heads for a moment. Father, if there's anybody under the sound of my voice that's not born again, we pray, Lord, that salvation will come to them. That they won't be afraid to slip out of their seat and come surrender their life to you. Maybe somebody who's watching by television or on a computer or on a phone or wherever you may be watching this morning. Maybe you need to be saved. You need to be born again. All you have to do is kneel right where you're at and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. We've all sinned. We've all had to ask that. Don't feel embarrassed. We've all sinned. All the way back to Adam. Jesus the only one who didn't sin. And just ask Him to forgive you and give, and give you a new heart and make a commitment to follow Him. Maybe somebody will get this podcast this week. We just pray that you'll, if you're not saved, you'll surrender your life to Jesus and start digging in the Word and become a disciple of His. You don't need to be my disciple. You need to be His disciple. If you're here this morning in this building and you have any needs, you need God to answer. Fix your mind on Him. Believe in Him. Go straight toward Him until that thing is affected. Whatever it is. This altar's open as we worship.